Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military, but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 124 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. Today, I'm having a conversation with Navy SEAL Eric Gleason about his book, Taking Point, a Navy SEAL's 10 Failsafe Principles for Leading Through Change. Eric and I have a great conversation, not just about his book, but about his transition out of the military and how he and the organizations he's involved with are addressing the mental health, wellness, and suicide epidemic in the special operations community. The statistics are sad and very unfortunate. I've lost a couple brothers to, to that uh, here in the recent years. But I think that one of the things that we're seeing that's really positive within the ranks of active service, and we, I've experienced this through uh, work with the SEAL Family Foundation, I know that we're at least within the special operations community trying to invest more time and resources into proactively uh, working with our active service members on mental health, TBI. Uh, we're investing more heavily in just general psychological wellness and trying to change the narrative and change the the culture uh, within the community to so that it's okay you know and people can be open about proactively treating uh, mental health challenges that they face as opposed to the whole silent warrior well we don't talk about that uh, type of thing well we have to talk about it. welcome to the headspace and timing podcast a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health my name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing Podcast. Welcome once again to a show that's really trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. Uh, we have a lot of different guests on the show, many of which are mental health professionals or veterans with their own uh, mental health journey and mental health story. Um, but as you've often heard me say on the show, that this isn't just about being crazy or being broken or being sick. It's not about mental illness. It's about mental wellness. And my guest today is is Brent Gleason. He is a Navy SEAL combat veteran. He's an entrepreneur. He's a best-selling author um, and really embodies a lot of the concepts of mental strength, mental wellness and resilience. So Brent, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for, for taking the time. Um, I definitely want to talk about all of the things that you're doing uh, to, to really sort of make an impact in your post-military career. Uh, but before we get into that, I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. Uh, just a quick background. Um, grew up in Dallas, Texas. I did my undergrad at uh, Southern Methodist University. Um, and actually worked uh, for a year in finance uh, prior to uh, joining the Navy. Uh, one of my, it's kind of a funny story, one of my uh, fraternity brothers in college uh, kind of talked me into the idea, <laughs> not overnight, but you know, it was a, a longer conversation. But uh, he and I, uh, after I worked for a year, he graduated, he was a year behind me. So he and I uh, joined the Navy together uh, to uh, try out for the program and uh, joined Buzz Class 235, uh, graduated, went to SEAL Team 5. Um, I joined right before 9-11. So uh, at that point, 9-11 uh, had, had occurred. Uh, Afghanistan had kicked off and then uh, Iraq spun up and 
our task unit from SEAL Team 5 uh, was the first task unit of SEALs deployed into Iraq in early 2003. Uh, did a couple tours there, uh, tour in Africa, some other places, and then uh, kind of stuck to my plan, got out, went to graduate school, and uh, have since become you know an entrepreneur, an author, a, a speaker, and currently run a uh, consulting firm. We focus predominantly on uh, organizational design, uh, culture transformation, and leadership development. You know, that's um, <laughs> definitely trying to, to wrap up a 10 or 12 years in a, in a 30 second <laughs> pitch. Um, but often, especially when I talk to those who had joined the military right before 9-11, um, that, uh, that 9-11 was a shift for them, right? You think you're joining the peacetime army and then, or, or the peacetime military and then you don't. But you knew what you were getting into. It's not like the, the Navy SEALs or the Special Forces or, or anything like that were just sitting back on their heels when, when it wasn't in, um, when we weren't at war. Um, but things shifted for you pretty early in your military career to focus on real world action rather than just sort of the preparation for stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, and I, I actually write a little bit about that in the book as far as the correlations we can draw between. Uh, the military's sort of structural and cultural uh, transformation after 9-11, uh, how we can relay that to sort of the, <laughs> the world of modern business. But, yeah, it was, it was a, a major uh, cultural shift uh, in mindset and um, you know, constantly bringing lessons back from the battlefield, applying that to you know, how we train, how we invest in resources, even our talent acquisition programs, <laughs> how we fill the top of the funnel with uh, candidates that are most likely to successfully navigate the rigors of special operations selection. But um, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, I appreciate that. I was actually in on on some of that. Uh, and I was in Germany on 9-11 and wanted to uh, go to Fort Campbell because I knew exactly what was going to happen. And the, the Army, in its infinite wisdom, decided to make me one of those talent acquisition specialists <laughs> for the first three years. And so I was a recruiter, um, recruiting at the beginning of the, the conflicts. Um, and, and then your career is is um, is limited as it was, but it was definitely packed with with a bunch of different things. And especially, uh, I'm seeing a lot of individuals, you know, in that 03 to about 2011 or 12, that you're not making this a career because you serve a career's worth of service in a in a truncated period of time. I saw a lot of, um, you know, mid level officers, mid level NCOs deciding to. To you know, I've done what I came to do, and I'm going to continue to move on. What was it for you? And you said you had the plan going in, but what was it for you that decided not to take it farther and remain in the Navy? Well, it, it's you know, it's something I I look back and reflect on uh, often, actually. Um, and I've talked to other um, you know colleagues and friends of mine, whether they be Army Delta SEALs, uh, Green Berets, um, you know, just talking about. Uh, you know, that feeling of, of regret, you know, when you get out, uh, whether you did six years, eight years or 15 years, uh, you always feel to some degree like you're leaving your brothers and sisters on the battlefield. Um, but, you know, back then uh, at the time I, I had a plan, uh, like you said, it was a, a rigorous, <laughs> a rigorous time, more rigorous than we all anticipated uh, back then. Um, but you know, looking back, if I had a crystal ball, I probably wouldn't have gotten out uh, when I did. And we all just assumed that these conflicts couldn't possibly uh, go on uh, for as long as they have. Um, and here we are. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, you know, doing several combat tours to some sounds like a lot. As you know, these days, if you're doing a career, that's not a lot. I've got buddies who've done 13 combat tours. Um, obviously, it's a different life. Uh, it's very, very difficult, uh, as you know, on marriage, family, raising kids, um, and just you know, your your physical and mental well-being. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, looking back, I probably would have stayed in longer. Um, you know, easy to say that now, but uh, if if any of us had any idea how long these conflicts would have gone on, uh, probably would have changed the mindset as far as um, you know what what a career in service looks like. You know, that's an interesting perspective. Um, you think the merry-go-round is about to slow down, so I'm going to jump off. And then once you right. jump off, you realize that uh, it's it's going to be spinning around for a little bit longer. I'm interested to hear how that was for you, that transition, right? Leaving the military, uh, leaving the Navy, especially leaving such a, a, a significantly tight brotherhood as a special operations committee, uh, community um, and, and going out into now you're no longer – 
you were in finance, you're no longer an accountant, you're no longer a, a non-military, you're this weird third thing called a veteran. And that culture <laughs> that you mentioned that is now you're, you're trying to apply that to post-military life. How was that for you? Um, it was it was okay. Uh, I, I had a very, again, very s- specific plan as far as what that transition would look like. Uh, part of that plan was to have very little downtime between uh, getting out and then what next uh, project would be. So I actually applied to grad school uh, prior to my last deployment. Um, so I was accepted into an MBA program um, before I did my last uh, deployment and literally started that program two weeks after I got out of the Navy. So it was what, what I saw or what had seen in the past is, uh, especially in the special operations community, uh, those coming out with uh, with a good plan, whether that be, uh, you know, another career path, graduate school, um, whatever that is, um, usually uh, thrive in that type of environment, especially if it's a, a very rapid and smooth transition. Uh, those who give themselves less of a plan, have more downtime, kind of not sure what they want to do, um, you see a little bit different path. Sometimes there's some uh, confusion. Sometimes that downtime, from what I've seen, uh, allows for uh, you know, the voices to creep in <laughs> and start questioning the, the, what that transition looks like. I've got a, you know, a good handful of uh, buddies who uh, transitioned back into the Navy um, six, to m- six months to a year after getting out because they didn't have that sense of camaraderie, that brotherhood. They felt uh, a little bit displaced um, because, you know, especially those who stay in longer, you get sort of institutionalized into that environment um, in a good way. I mean, and then uh, you you feel a less of an identity uh, when you transition out uh, because that's all you've known for so long. And you're a high performer in that arena. And sometimes that doesn't always translate to high performance until you find a way to channel it. Um, but it doesn't immediately always translate into high performance in the civilian world. You know, I really appreciate that. The idea of um, needing to have a plan. Um, and, and I'm thinking back on, again, both my transition when I retired and I was in for 22 years and uh, I retired in 14. Um, essentially, I look back on it and I was starting to plan probably six or seven years as I started down my degree path. Did a lot yeah. of that when I was in the military. Um, and then contrast with that with, with other things that I've seen. There's a story that uh, that I experienced. I was going to uh, hang out and drink coffee with a, a first sergeant buddy of mine, and uh, we walked into her orderly room, and um, there was one of her E6s sitting there, and she looked at him and was like, get out of here, right? And I was like, what's up with that? And she says, he retires on Friday. His last day in the army is on Friday and he won't leave. He still comes in for, um, you know, PT in the morning and he comes in at work and she says, I've taken all this work away from him. And she was like, he is not ready to make the change. And she was, I mean, and she was truly, you know, frustrated and, and really shaking her head about the fact that, um, we need to make this mindset mindset shift. And it sounds like with the plan that you did that, that you said, I know that there is going to be this end date to my military career and I need to plan for the next step. But those that you say without a plan, it's almost as if the the end of the time in the military sneaks up on them. Yeah. And I've, a lot of my close friends who are still in um, are doing just that. Like you said, they're, they've been planning, you know, five years out <laughs> prior to their retirement or their uh, the date that they have in mind for, for, for their exit and their transition. Uh, a lot of them already going back to school or getting advanced degrees or starting to do a lot of networking. Uh, one of the great things that we've seen now, as you know, is uh, this um, uh, cropping up of really great nonprofit organizations like the Honor Foundation, Elite Meet, um, other great organizations that are really helping. Uh, now, some of these organizations, as you know, specialize in you know, um, the, you know the, the upper tiers of special operations, fighter pilots, things like that, helping them transition. That's their niche. Uh, you know, and, and it's, uh, those programs work really well. It's just really great to see our veterans coming out. And one of the ways they continue to serve is by serving their fellow veterans. Um, and in large part uh, through Honor Foundation, through Elite Meet and some other similar organizations. Uh, that's one of their ways to serve is to help other veterans uh, have a positive transition, help them with everything from resume writing to interviewing skills to actually networking with uh, executives from organizations that have really solid uh, veteran programs um, and, and helping veterans transition into a career path within their organization. So that's one thing that I've seen that's just uh, 
it's just really awesome to see um, that there's actually formal programs now that are helping veterans transition. And, and especially, as you said, those highest performing uh, individuals, because it wouldn't be there if it wasn't necessary. You know, I, I had um, uh, Jacob Toops from Merging Vets and Players on the show, um, and yes. especially our, our highest level operators um, in the military um, and those professional athletes that are playing in the, the professional stage. Um, once you leave, there is a severe gap in your life, right, that, that you need to figure out how to fill, uh, because at one moment you're operating. Operating um, at the highest level on the highest stage and doing it well and loving it, um, and then six months later, um, you know, barely anybody might know who you are or what you did, um, yeah. and that's a struggle for. And again, as I'd mentioned, I, I have had, um, I know many Green Berets and, and have had a couple on the show um, that it's that it's really a um, a whirlwind. Um, you didn't necessarily experience that because you had got your mindset shift connected to, I'm going to make this change and prepared ahead of time. Yeah. It's funny. I actually spoke at um, an event for an organization I mentioned previously called elite meat started by a former seal. Um, and they specialize in um, helping special operators and fighter pilots transition into the workforce. And I you know, volunteered my time and, spoke at one of their events in San Francisco, like a lot of us, you know, have, and I was uh, talking a lot about, you know, advice that I have as far as transition and selecting a career path or, you know, going back to school or whatever that is. And uh, to be totally candid, I was, I was um, nervous to speak to the group and I'm a professional speaker. I wasn't nervous because of speaking. I was nervous because uh, the majority of the people in that audience, um, you know, have served longer than I did. And so I was, I was nervous. I was like, are they going to respect what I have to say? And, you know, all that, <laughs> all those things. And, you know, you, you, when you have such deep respect for a community like that, you, you do, you care what they think and you care if you're going to add value to them. Um, and because that's what you're there to do. And it was just such an amazing experience because they were just, they were sponges. <laughs> they were listening to, they were hanging on every word. I uh, had so, so many great questions um, and it was a good experience. And, and also helped me realize that, uh, regardless of you know, the tenure of service and what you've done in the military, uh, transition can be uh, daunting. It can be scary. And, and there's a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty, um, you know, not like on the battlefield, but a, a different type of battlefield. <laughs> so it's uh, it's good to give back in that regard and understand the, you know, those challenges, because I, what I've seen is uh, also the, the longer that our servicemen and women are in the military, sometimes the more difficult that transition is. You know, that's uh, that's entirely accurate. The idea of, you know, you go to be a, a senior non-commissioned officer, a senior officer leading, or even, you know, our mid-grades, you know, you, you have a 26-year-old E6 that is in charge of, you know, dozens of lives and millions of dollars of equipment in Afghanistan. Now, all of a sudden, um, you come back and, you know, here's the mop sweep out the latrine, right? You know, and, and this yeah. is <laughs> going from, from something that was extremely meaningful and, and purposeful and again, coming back um, and, and not knowing what it looks like. And I think that, as you said, you know, are they going to value what I have to say? Um, I would imagine if you were talking to a, a group of, uh, um, you know, new, newly graduated SEALs that had never, you know, or perhaps hadn't deployed in, in a special operations capacity, well, you had already been there and done that, right? You had executed the mission of transition and they hadn't. And sometimes it's hard when you're inside the machine to conceive of life outside the machine. And you had successfully made that transition and come back and, and were able to, um, again, as you said, give back and, and give some of this understanding of what we need to do to prepare psychologically, mentally, and, and resilience wise to be able to make this transition. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a great story to tell too. when. We're talking to, uh, you know, our, our young folks who have an interest in uh, in military service. So on the front end uh, of all of that, it's great to have, you know, veterans out there telling their story of transition because there's so many positive opportunities um, and things, as you know, that come from military service um, in any arena that can benefit uh, a person throughout their entire personal and professional career afterwards. Um, so that's one of the things that I do is uh, I do mentor um guys going in through the SEAL program and, and whatnot, but um, also just having spoken to other groups and uh, meeting, you know, the young people or the, the you know, the, the kids of 
know, business colleagues and things like that who have an interest in service. And um, it's uh, there is a really positive story to tell as far as what military service can mean for the rest of your life. Um, so preparing people sort of mentally and emotionally for not just going into the military, but having that longer term vision of what that service um, can mean. Uh, also, I think helps prepare them later on for that transition as well. So they kind of go into it understanding what a later on transition might might look like. You know, and, and I think that's very important as well. This idea of um, if we continue this narrative of the broken veteran, right, or, or the wounded, um, you know, wounded warrior. Um, and, and I'm not downplaying, of course, uh, that these things do exist. But if if the young people of this nation constantly think that um, it, it, the inevitable outcome of military service is post-traumatic stress disorder and alcoholism, um, then we need to change the way that we talk about military service and, sure, the psychological impact um, and, and be able to bring out those positive things. Because if not, that's a national security issue. And, and we're not going to continue to have the, the young men and women coming in um, that, that we necessarily will need to to continue to, to support and serve. Well, and, and you're totally right. And, and, and there's so many, and you, we see this on social media now, there, there are people out there who are changing that narrative, uh, a narrative about, uh, about resilience and, you know, bouncing back from adversity. Um, I'm work, currently working on my second book and it's about personal transformation. Um, and there's, uh, you know, I've obviously, as do you, you know, have colleagues who've experienced extreme adversity on the battlefield and now they're out there telling their story of, um, of resilience. Um, you know, I've got a buddy, Jason Redmond, he was shot multiple times in the, in the face, neck and, and arm. Um, doctors told him he would probably never walk again. He would definitely never work out again. Uh, you know, he's had a lot of uh, facial reconstruction and reconstruction, you know, on his body, but, um, he's out there telling the story. Uh, you know, he, <laughs> he works out, he <laughs> runs long distance and, uh, he's back. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, um, that he actually hung a sign. You can look it up, a sign on his door at, uh, the Naval hospital at Bethesda that, uh, garnered the attention of the then president George W. Bush. But basically he, he got so sick and tired of people coming in and crying over him and saying, I'm so sorry, how this happened to you. And, you know, the sign basically said, don't cry for me. Uh, you know, I, I got these injuries doing a job I love, doing it for brothers I love, uh, doing it for a country I deeply love. Um, this is the story of, of resilience. Um, so if you're here for anything else, you know, <laughs> don't enter. <laughs> and it is, it, uh, it's just it's really it's a really powerful message. And there's so many other veterans out there that are telling their stories uh, of resilience. I've got, you know, uh, endless uh, stories of that like you do. Um, but um, that's the narrative that really needs to be preached because, Yes, sometimes we will experience adversity uh, on the battlefield, but, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, stories like this and research that shows that a little bit of adversity sometimes uh, makes us more mature and uh, have a better outlook on life. <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. You know, this idea of, you know, post-traumatic growth, right, you know, is is through um, through adversity, we come stronger. I mean, and this isn't a new idea, right? Nietzsche, whatever doesn't yes. kill me makes me stronger. Right. And, and we've seen this uh, through history. Right. You know, Wood Grant has had been an effective uh, general if he hadn't gone through if he hadn't been a failed businessman, if he hadn't learned how to fail, if he hadn't, you know, uh, labored in obscurity in the West before he was brought out east. And so there's this idea of, uh, you know, just because you get punched in the face doesn't one, it doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're 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 not capable. Um and if you get knocked to the mat, sometimes that can sort of um, that can definitely set you up for for later success, because somebody who's never experienced adversity won't know how to to lead and 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 follow in some senses in the face of adversity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and obviously, we you know, I've uh, seen that not just from my own experience, but with um you know, a lot of very close uh, friends and colleagues. And um, again, it's, it's just a good, it's, it's good to continue to tell these stories so that to your point earlier, that we don't uh, continue this narrative of the, you know, the broken, the broken veteran. And uh, yeah. 
See, and this is in, you'd mentioned a couple times um, your book, Taking Point. And, and this is what you're trying to do is take your experiences in the Navy and, and your leadership concepts um, and apply that to the business community. Um, one of the, the one of the things um, after I got my clinical mental health degree, I still had some GI Bill left um, and I went back and I got an MBA and I was talking to the dean um, in, in getting ready for the interview to, to get into the program. And she told me, oh, you're going to learn so much about leadership in this program uh, because she said, and I just kind of nodded and smiled. She said that leadership in business is so much different than leadership in the military. Um, and I said, okay, well, thank you for letting me, letting me into your program. And, and of course I knew that as, as through in, in much of my experience as an enlisted leader in the army, um, was perfectly applicable. And I was able to help my, my fellow classmates on different concepts. And, um, and it's, and it seems like that's what you've done with taking point and, and really with, with your, um, your columns and Forbes and Inc. Uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about the, the development of the book and, and sort of what you your, sure. your aim was. Yeah, no, that's actually a really funny story <laughs> that you're going to learn so much about leadership in your MBA program. But um, the, uh, you know, a lot of the the trials and tribulations of leadership uh, experienced on, you know, the actual battlefield and then translated over to the uh, the figurative battlefield of business and entrepreneurship. Um, some things translate well, some things um, are more challenging, uh, especially when managing multi-generational workforce uh, younger generations in the workforce today, um, people who are you know, motivated by different things, uh, inspired by different things. Um, it's it's complex in, in a much different way. Um, one of my biggest challenges was uh, utilizing uh, many of the uh, you know sort of leadership skills uh, you know taken from the SEAL teams, but also having to adjust uh, much of that style. Uh, to the civilian workforce. Um, and a lot of that I did through uh, things like uh, uh, 360 reviews and getting feedback from the team. Um, one of the things that I've seen is, you know, the best leaders out there are um, humble and they're lifelong learners um, and they crave transparent feedback from those they lead. Um, that's one of the, I, I found that self-assessment <laughs> is probably one of the least effective uh, tools to understand uh, how good you're doing at leading your team in whatever environment that is. Um, but over the years, uh, it's not just necessarily a passion for the specific companies that I've started, but a passion for building high performance teams and aligning culture with strategy and the desired results of the organization, understanding how uh, behavioral norms and cultural elements play into the financial performance of an organization. Um, that's kind of what sparked the, you know, the interest in writing the book and the timing of uh, in which I did that. Uh, and it came out a couple of years ago. Um, or excuse me, a little bit over a year ago, um, is really about, uh, it's very culture driven. So it's, there's 10 principles and it's all about leading organizational change, drawing on a lot of the lessons learned that we've seen in the military's almost constant state of transformation over the past 18 years. And what can we learn from that as far as applying that to the world of, uh, you know, VUCA environments uh, in modern business? Yeah, and looking through a lot of these steps, you know, if someone looking from the outside said, you know, I'd learn how to lead like a Navy SEAL, and that's that's not the the goal of the book, but um, but this idea of somebody picking it up and okay, trust, accountability, preparation, but but for a lot of time, uh, you know, people inclusion, and and they don't realize, especially those who have never served, how actually inclusive. Um, the military is. Uh, my first roommate um, in in the army was a Hawaiian kid, um, and so there was no way other than being in the military that a suburban kid from St. Louis is going to meet a kid that grew up in Hilo. And so, and there's this. It's it, it, it seems like that there's some uh, counterintuitive things, and this is as much trying to help people understand that, you know, a, a lot of the things that people are looking for in the business world come from and lessons from the military can be applied to what they're looking for. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. I, I, uh, and I get those questions a lot and maybe it's during Q and a after a keynote speech or something, but, um, the level of diversity and inclusion in the military is oftentimes overlooked, uh, yeah, especially too in the special operations community. You know, you, you have people from all walks of life, uh, from, 
trust fund silver spoon kids to people who came from nothing <laughs> to guys who've never seen the ocean before. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a very, it's a fascinating, uh, experience, uh, as you know, uh, in all branches of the military and all levels of service, uh, how diverse things are. And one of the things I touch on in the book is the, uh, not just the importance of diversity, but the importance of inclusion as it relates to engagement and participation, um, in any organization, especially a, uh, an organization that has a desire for high performance, has a dire desire to positively lead uh, change and transform and grow and uh, be creative and develop great products and services. But um, when you have low levels of engagement and this recent Gallup research that comes out every year, it's, it's gotten a little bit better. But on average, usually around 20 to 30 percent of an organization are engaged. The rest are either disengaged. Um, and not participating uh, to the highest capacity. And another percentage, usually around 20%, are actively disengaged, meaning they're actually working against the organization. Um, so that's one of the critical importance and, and priorities of uh, leadership and management in the modern world is making culture and employee engagement part of the strategy, not just an afterthought, but actually part of the strategy and understanding what implications that have on productivity, efficiency, growth, profitability, uh, retention, Sarah. You know, I really appreciate you bring that point out, you know, this free rider problem, right? They're the ones that are really kind of <laughs> um, just just going along and, and not paying the toll. Um, definitely, there is some of that in the military, right? You know, the yeah. <laughs> shamtastic. I mean, in, in, in some in different, uh, different times and definitely not in others, but it's nowhere near that level of you know, uh, only 30%, a, a larger number of individuals in the military, whatever, a small unit team all the way up to large organizations, it's greater than 30%. Uh, and so I really appreciate how you you take these these lessons that you learned and then have the ability to translate them into, um, and, and this is a challenge that I think a lot of veterans have, is they don't know how to translate their military experience and not through an MOS translator, but just the concepts. And you look like you grab the concepts here and are able to translate that in ways that the business community can understand um, and, and learn how to value potential veteran employees more. Well, yeah, I and mean, obviously full transparency, um, the, the quote unquote wisdom that is gained and reflected in the book is just predominantly a long list of failures <laughs> that I've gradually learned from over the years and figuring out what works and what doesn't and, you know, sort of being in a constant state of after action review uh, and applying those to uh, what does work in organizations and obviously doing a lot of you know, research and then having had the opportunity to uh, consult with other organizations. And the interesting thing you see is the challenges we face in business, uh, as you know, uh, regardless of the size of the organization, uh, sometimes obviously size adds uh, a different level of complexity, but regardless of size, regardless of industry, the organizations or excuse me, the challenges we face are all very similar <laughs> and heavily, heavily related to uh, people challenges uh, and behavioral challenges and cultural challenges. Um, I've been in organizations like Vistage and been close to the YPO community where you have basically sort of your peers, uh, leaders of other organizations, and we all face the same things. Um, so drawing from lessons learned from the military or from, from other colleagues and other organizations is a great way to uh, under, better understand your own organization uh, and your own success or failures as a, as a leader within that organization. Right. And then this idea of, uh, you know, obviously failures and, and we've all had, uh, you know, especially in post-military, we're trying to figure things out. Um, and then, but you're not just communicating to the business community from your military side. You're also turning back around and supporting those service members, um, you know, uh, SEALs. Um, you said that you're on the board of the, the SEAL Family Foundation, um, that you're taking the lessons and quite possibly probably the Failures that you've experienced in, in post-military life and translating that back to those that are coming behind you to be able to smooth their way a little bit more as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, one of the one of the things that I that we see a lot is um, especially from high performers in a military environment. We see this with tier one operators and and I, I, I 
share this um, when I'm talking to some of these audiences. Uh, you know, we get out, and because you have that high-performance mindset, uh, oftentimes we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot because we want to do everything and we want to do it well. <laughs> so, so then you end up doing a lot of things poorly um, and you know, just trying to go full steam all in all the time at every opportunity you see. Um, and guys just run themselves ragged uh, as opposed to being a little bit more focused um, you know, sort of a <laughs> slow is smooth, smooth is fast mentality. We kind of forget that uh, when we transition out and we want to do everything. We want to do it well. Um, but we sometimes lack uh, that need for focus and that need for a plan uh, as opposed to just doing seven different projects all at once um, and not really succeeding at any of them, <laughs> or at least not in the way we desire to. Right. And there's this idea of trying to fill the space after the military, right? You know, when you leave the military, there's this huge hole in your life. Um, but even as you mentioned it before, the extremely high operational tempo of our, our most elite forces, right? You know, as you said, 13, 14 different deployments. Um, and, and perhaps they are, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine month deployments uh, versus, you know, some of the 12 or 15 month, but still they're significant. And that yeah. rotation has a significant toll both on the service members um, and on on the families, as you said. Um, and and I'm, I'm curious to see how, and you'd mentioned before uh, we started to talk about, how um, it, it can grind people down and it does have a psychological impact and, and um, both the operational tempo, uh, but also the suicide epidemic in the special operations community is pretty significant. Yeah, uh, it is. It's uh, the statistics are sad and very unfortunate. Um, I've, you know, I've lost, uh, we've lost a, a couple brothers to, to that uh, here in the, you know, recent years, but um but I think that one of the things that we're seeing that's really positive within um, uh, within the ranks of active service, and I've experienced this through uh, work with the SEAL Family Foundation. I know that we're, at least within the special operations community and, and NSW, uh, trying to invest more time and resources into proactively uh, working with our active service members on uh, mental health, uh, TBI. Um, just general health and wellness so that we can combat these issues not after they get out or 10 years after they get out because research shows that sometimes you know PTSD symptoms can uh, rear its ugly head 10 years after your uh, transition out of the military or 10 years after your last sort of traumatic uh, experience in the military service. Um, so I can speak really only for the Naval Special Warfare community, but we're uh, sending our active duty operators to, um, you know, for, for brain treatment, uh, for treating TBI. Uh, we're investing more heavily in uh, just general um, psychological wellness um, and trying to change the narrative and change the, the culture uh, within the community to so that it's OK. You know, and people can be open about uh, proactively treating uh, mental health challenges that they face as opposed to the whole silent warrior. But we don't talk about that. Uh, type of thing. Well, we have to talk about it <laughs> because we have active duty operators who have TBI, who have PTSD. Um, and it's not something that, you know, again, as you know, it's sort of like, oh, well, you know, we treat veterans for that. Well, no, we need to treat our active uh, service members for that now uh, as opposed to 10 years from now. You know, I really appreciate that. And that's, uh, well, I think one of the unfortunate long-term uh, side effects is is we're still contained in the same conflict, certainly, and we're able to take the lessons learned from the beginning of the conflicts and apply them to now. Um, but even as you said, and, and yes, late onset PTSD is, is very real. Um, there were studies that showed in the mid-90s that Holocaust survivors who showed no PTSD symptoms started yeah. to develop them in their 70s and 80s. And we're starting yeah. to see Vietnam veterans who had been, you know, nominally or, or even explicitly as successful are now experiencing these things as they're starting to retire. And there's a number of things you know, yep. that, that show about that. Um, but this idea of it, it's great that we're, we're taking care of those, um, those, those current active service members, but we're five years beyond 10 years after the the most traumatic thing. So those operators that served in your time, um, uh, you know, the the early years and those that got out in maybe oh six oh seven. That was just in the beginning of when we're doing this, um, and and really trying to figure out how do we reach back and support those 
those uh, those service members that are struggling, you know, 15 years after their experiences in the military. Yeah, and those, those are interesting statistics, too. I actually learned that from a VA counselor that I met with um, years back uh, around the time I was transitioning out. And uh, she was she told me some interesting facts about what you said. She's like, I'm I'm now seeing Vietnam veterans uh, on a regular basis that are just now starting to really experience uh, PTSD symptoms. Um, and another interesting thing she said is, as, as it relates to sort of changing the culture and mindset of, uh, you know, proactively getting, you know, therapy and, and things like that was that you can give your spouse or your significant other, uh, PTSD, um, just by, uh, unleashing <laughs> all of your, all of your stuff, uh, on them. And because they love you, they, they want to carry that burden with you. And therefore sometimes they end up carrying that burden <laughs> with you. So it's, um, and that's, it's one of those elements that causes us to really encourage, our active duty uh, members to get ahead of it um, because it's the responsible thing to do. There definitely is that uh, concept of vicarious trauma of, of, you know, even and especially even for providers, those maybe who didn't serve, but are, are supporting them. Um, and to be able to combat against that, I understand that's really what the seal family foundation is trying to do is not just to, you know, the, the spouses, but also, um, you know, there is intergenerational trauma that can exist. And even to the point of my son was born one month before nine 11. Um, you know, he turned 17 this past August, he turns 18 this August and he could enlist and serve in the military and, and serve in the same battlefields uh, that I served on. Right. And so there's this idea of a cross-generational conflict, but also intergenerational trauma. Uh, I'm interested to hear how the Seal Family Foundation is really trying to, to support readiness through taking care of the family. Our, our biggest mission is uh, what we refer to as family resilience. Um, so obviously that's not just serving the operator. Um, it's also obviously serving the entire family. Um, that's why we're the Seal Family Foundation because one of the, for example, one thing we're trying to do is reduce the divorce rate. Um, and therefore, uh, one of our missions is healthy marriages. Um, so really in, in integrating you know, the spouses into the community more, providing more resources for them, more resources for the children, keeping families together, um, providing resources for everything from, you know, various types of programs that we um, that we fund to scholarships uh, for, for college. Um, so family resilience is our number one mission. Um, and, you know, when the family is healthy, you know, the operator is more healthy on the battlefield as well. Um, and that also impacts, you know, retention rate and uh, things like that. So, um, you know, we are constantly not just, uh, you know, obviously we have a, uh, the, you know, the downside of the job is that we support the, the families of our fallen operators and, and whatnot. But, uh, our, you know, one of our biggest initiatives is supporting the families of our active service uh, men and women um, in the NSW community uh, to create that level of resilience and, and family readiness and healthy marriages, um, healthy relationships between you know the operator and their children, um, because it's not just the right thing to do, but it improves retention and improves general wellness and it improves uh, the ability to transition later on. Yeah, and really, it does take care of uh, you know some of these risk factors that are included when whenever things do go south, as you said, these disrupted transitions or, or these concerns. It's it's been shown that um, if you have a a more stable, a more supportive family life, then it, the the traumatic experiences are less likely going to um, going to impact you. Um, and I appreciate the the uh, the focus on divorce. I had a buddy of mine who who once told me he's a Green Beret, and he said that uh, you know uh, Green Berets have three wives: the one that you went to selection with, the one you deployed with, and the one you retire with. <laughs> and and those that don't, and and, and a good buddy of mine has has, has been married um, you know, to his wife from before they you know joined in his his time in special forces. He said, "But I'm an anomaly," and just that constant turmoil, that constant turnover, that that lack of of a a stabilizing force um, can lead to challenges. Um, and it's really great to hear that the SEAL Family Foundation is trying to address that particular risk factor and keep it from getting it to a crisis point in the first yeah. place. Yeah, exactly. We want to we get ahead of it before it's unmanageable uh, for the families. Um, and, um, and that's, that's um, our primary mission. 
Now, this is uh, this has been really great. Uh, I, I really appreciate again the idea of um, you could have went back and and put your head down and and built your companies and um, and just sort of driven forward, but both taking what you learned in the Navy as a Navy SEAL and taking what you've learned as an entrepreneur and giving it back to the operators and service members now. Um, I think it's a, it's an amazing mission. It seems like you're doing an, an amazing job, Brent. So uh, I'm wondering what kind of stuff do you have coming up? What, uh, what kind of things are, are coming up for you in the future? You mentioned a second book. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're just, uh, you know, this is uh my third company, uh, just really expanding uh, our services, products, uh, and the team in general. Um, you know, we've got three kids, so that keeps us busy. <laughs> and um, yeah, working on the second book. Um, it's uh, working title is "Embrace the Suck," uh, so a title that I think you can resonate with. <laughs> but it's really about personal transformation. Um, it's it's sort of falling into that sort of newer, popular genre of counterintuitive in your face, self-improvement, uh, narrative, um, as opposed to sort of the, uh, early days of the more popular, you know, think positive all the time and, you know, <laughs> and all that. It's a, it's a little different, uh, different, uh, storyline than your typical, uh, self-improvement book. Um, which, uh, I think is, uh, obviously pulling from not just my stories and experiences, but some of our you know, colleagues from the military and other interesting stories about overcoming adversity. Um, cause there's a lot of great, um, great stories out there uh, like that. So those are just some of the few things coming up. Yeah, that's great. Is the uh, the idea of uh, embracing the suck is is definitely necessary, and, and many of us do that in many different ways. But the idea of resisting the suck is is the problem of, um, you know, when things kind of go off the rails, right? When when you try to um, you know, when you're not as resilient as you possibly could be, uh, that's when things can get challenging. So if people wanted to find out more about you, uh, what you're doing, um, you know, you're uh, taking point leadership, all of that, how can they find you online, social media, that kind of stuff? Sure. Uh, sure. I'm, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, of course. Uh, I'm newer to Instagram, but, uh, but I am on Instagram, that Brent underscore Gleason. Um, my speaking website is brentgleasonspeaker.com. Our company website is takingpointleadership.com. Uh, so there's just some of the few ways that uh, you can learn more about me and our organization. That's great. I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to talk to us today, Brent. Absolutely. It was an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. I've heard it often from the special operations community. They recognize that they hold a specific status in their respective military branches and are looked at as the elite forces. Many of them are starting to say, like Eric does in this episode, that the responsibility for leadership does not end when they leave the military. They need to take the lead on being vocal about taking care of themselves psychologically after leaving the service. There have been a lot of discussions about perpetuating the broken veteran stereotype and how we should address the psychological impact of military service by showing the good as well as the bad. Some have argued that we should only show the good to counteract the bad. Only talking about one side of the conversation, though, is not giving the whole picture. We have to acknowledge that the military benefited us in a lot of ways, but also messed us up in some others. Like when we were in the military, and like Eric talks about in the show, we have to figure out how to maximize our strengths, use the beneficial things we learned in the military in our post-military life, as much as we have to minimize or eliminate the deficits. None of us are getting out of the military without a couple of dents in the fender, but that doesn't mean the car isn't drivable. just means that we've been around the block a few times. Thanks for listening to the show. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash HST124. If you want to show your support for the work that we're doing, make sure to leave an honest rating or review on the podcast player of your choice. We're always looking for guests, either veterans or those who support them. You can drop me a line at info at VeteranMentalHealth.com to recommend guests, or you can go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash guest to fill out a suggestion or request. I'm happy to announce that I've released a paperback version of the first Headspace and Timing book. It's been available on Kindle for a couple of years, but now you can get it along with Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy. To check it out, go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash HST book. Just a reminder that the guests and information on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be considered professional advice. 
While I am a practicing therapist, I'm not your therapist. If something you've heard makes you think that you should talk to somebody, then reach out to do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his album Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness, and you can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Make sure to join us for the next episode. Hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice so you don't miss it. Until then, remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability Looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.